Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Saul Marquez here. Appreciate you tuning in again. Today, I have an awesome guest for you, the highly talented Laura Arpanen. Laura is an architect with a specialty in healthcare. She's the inaugural professor of health and well-being architecture at Alto University in Helsinki, which is a new cross-disciplinary university combining science, arts, and business. Laura has extensive experience in both designing and operationalizing healthcare in Canada, where she lived for almost 25 years in the beautiful coastal city of Vancouver. Her specific areas of interest lie in diversity, patient and human-centered design, as well as understanding the connection between the built environment and health. I had the pleasure of, of meeting Laura at the TED-Med meeting a couple months ago and uh, really was inspired by the conversation we had during one of the breaks. And I said, Laura, you've got to come on. So I really appreciate you making time for us, Laura. Thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Laura, did I miss anything in your intro that you want to tell the listeners about? Yeah, that's sort of the professional side. I also, I am a yoga instructor and a yoga therapist, which uh, gives me another sort of angle to this uh, ever interesting topic of well-being. And cool. um, I'm also an eternal optimist. And <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think that's why we got along. I think that's why we got along. So Laura, the, the, the yoga piece is cool. You know, I, I, um, I've been thinking about doing it at least once a week just to help with stretching because I lift and I just feel like it would be a, a good practice. Oh, it would be a good practice. You're right. <laughs> wow. Well, good I may thing. have to get some tips from you after this. So appreciate you sharing that. So why did you decide to get into healthcare, Laura? It was not uh, really a conscious choice. Uh, one of my majors at architecture school was uh, specialized work environments. Mm -hmm. And I had worked in design firms that did large and complex buildings such as technology centers and university laboratories. And then, then I moved to North America and I worked in companies that did what we call institutional buildings, which means education, recreational buildings, and healthcare. So that's where I sort of started to, to dip my feet into the ocean, if you like. And healthcare buildings are very complex. And I, and I think eventually I sort of drifted into doing more and more of them by virtue of just having done them before. And then with my experience with the complex buildings. And uh, they are complex. They're about as complex as you can get in terms of technical requirements. Then the rewards are also really, really big when you, when you, get one to, to really work nicely. So, no, it's yeah. really neat. And the things that you could do that often uh, when you're in the hospital, that maybe it impacts you in, the, in a positive way, but you don't realize all the thought that went into it, you know? What, oh, there, yeah. Talk to us about some of that. And maybe, maybe you could share uh, along the lines of a, of a topic about architecture in, in healthcare, something that, need, that leaders need to be thinking about today. Right. So, um, yeah, they are very complex buildings. And we, as users or as patients, we only see one side of the healthcare facility. But I do think that having been sort of at the table designing them, my main sort of pitch is that we do need to focus more on patient-centered 
here because the buildings, they are, they become like these amazing machines of technology, if you wish, because we all know that when healthcare, acute care at its best, it normally involves quite a bit of technology. So the technology can sort of start to take over. So I do believe that the patient-centered care needs to be better understood. And I think that patients' voices should be fully included in all decision-making processes that affect the delivery of healthcare. So that's, um, it's a tall order, but I think that would really make our facilities even better. So I think that's a great tip. And, and today, you know, with mergers and acquisitions happening all over the place in the, in the U.S., people have to think and rethink what they do with their buildings. You know, a lot of hospitals are just offloading buildings, redesigning others. So as, as the leaders listening to this today, if you guys and gals think about what you're doing with these buildings. Think about incorporating the patient into one of these committees. I mean, how do you do that, Laura? I mean, how do you get a patient involved and how do you get their feedback? And, and what would you say some of the best practices for that are? Oh, that's such a great question. I think user representatives, a patient and family representatives are essential. And the ways to involve them is sometimes larger hospitals may have sort of little task forces or groups that meet and they have patient representation. That would be quite progressive. I think definitely you should have some level of integrated facility design workshops and you should really include patient representation in those workshops. But I, I would go even, even further. I think that every steering committee should have patient representation. It's not just a one-off, but that's, if nothing else, please invite them into design workshops and, and open houses and, and give them voice and find a way to channel that voice. And I will also really, really want to highlight that the patient representatives, when they come into the room, they're often the only ones who don't get paid because the staff people are there and they are sort of there through their yeah. work and the designers are there through their work. So maybe even if you really, really want to make it the sort of Rolls Royce of participation, maybe provide an honorarium because some of those people, you know, might not be able to take time off work and come otherwise. So yeah, those are some I ideas. I think that's great, you know, and, and uh, it's definitely a great idea on large projects like these. Give them an honorarium and uh, you'll be surprised at the, at the level of interest and time invested that we, I'd say we, you know, because we're all going to be patients if we're not already on our yearly checkups, right, uh, that we could provide. So great idea, Laura. I think it's a, it's a great call out. Give us an example of, I know it's early on with this new uh, college that you're involved with, but give us an example of how you all plan to create results by doing things differently. Well, for starters, when I run my design studios, the students need to take part in a simulated stakeholder workshop exercise and they play roles. Like some people play the doctors and some people play the janitors and some people play the patients and some people play the mechanical engineers and stuff. And they, they sort of need to role play this to understand the very large group of people who should be considered stakeholders in medical facilities. And then they need to also take into account what comes up in these simulated workshops in whatever they design. I just cannot in good conscience train architects who would not talk to the users. So that's one thing that we're doing. Love it. So you're practicing what you preach here. I sure hope so. Yeah, I try to <laughs> with everything I do. <laughs> 
I think it's great. And um, as you think about the things that, that surround you, next time you're in a clinic or, or a hospital, maybe there's some things that you don't know about. So, Laura, I'd love to just get from you some of the elements that are being incorporated and maybe the reasoning for those, those elements. Well, uh, there's a lot of technology that goes into the buildings that we don't normally see. There's air purification systems. You might have high efficiency particle arrestor filters, which we call HEPA filters. And these are things that get put in because we know that people who come into medical facilities may have compromised immune systems because they're already unwell when they come. So we should make hospitals healthier buildings than buildings that are not hospitals. And a lot of effort goes into that that you don't necessarily see. And this, the sort of science that's behind this is called infection prevention or infection control. So there's a lot of infection control measures that are incorporated into the design, which you might not see, but they are there. It comes through selection of materials and systems of ventilation and also ways of operating a hospital. So there's many things that are there, but you might not know that they're there. Yeah, that's a really great call out. And how about things like paintings or plants or or where a window is placed, like that kind of stuff? I'm really curious about that. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a good question. Paintings, we do like to incorporate art into medical facilities. Paintings can be tricky for two reasons. If they're paintings that you hang on the wall, they might collect dust and they create a ledge that would sort of create dust and, and bacteria, so and germs. That's interesting. So you might mm-hmm. need to really have good housekeeping to keep the painting clear. So visual art can be incorporated in many ways and maybe the um, sort of the most old fashioned way or the conservative way is to hang an old painting on the wall is not really what you see in hospitals for mentioned reasons. Plants are tricky because you can get mold in the soil. So um, you often don't see plants, but then again, you do have green walls that can clean the air. So yeah. depending on the growing medium, you might be able to incorporate some, but um, infection prevention is a pretty restrictive requirement. So plants are rare, um, mm. certainly in, in the more intense procedural areas of hospitals, for sure. Of course, yeah. Windows, open up a windows would be great, but depending on where you are, it's not always a good idea because the air quality outside might be worse than inside. But access to daylight and access to views is essential, and we try to provide that always, whenever we can, from patient rooms and other, other areas as well, because it's completely a no-brainer that it's uh, it's psychologically soothing and it, it aids in the process of healing. So. Hmm, love it. Yeah, some of the things that you don't think about and the impact that it could have. You got to be thinking about these things. And so, Laura, talk to us about a time when you were designing something or working with a group designing something and things didn't work out so well. You had a setback and what you learned from that setback. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> That happens a lot, but that's, it's part of the business. Well, once we designed an intensive care unit, uh, uh-huh. it was a small one. Only in eight, Canada? Yeah, in Canada. This okay. was in Canada. And actually, it was a renovation, so we actually put it into an existing building, and we put a skylight into it. So this goes back to my, my just aforementioned detail about daylight. So this was sort of a fairly deep wing, so there was no daylight in the middle, which is where all the staff was, yeah. right? I put a skylight on it and it was a real sort of architectural feature on the design with a cone shaped slanted ceiling. So it was like an upside down kind of cone mm. or, or that like 
cone shape. And then at the tip of the cone was the, the skylight. And then the light sort of fell down along these smooth white walls that we had done from the drywall. And the, it was just, we worked hard and the drywaller worked hours sanding the drywall joints so that the surface would be smooth and the light would fall as evenly as possible. That was a Sounds lovely beautiful. feature. Yeah. So we sort of congratulated ourselves that we have been able to pull this off because it's not easy in existing buildings to go cutting holes in the roof. Yeah. And we were able to do it so that we didn't, you know, compromise any structural beams or any existing mechanical ducting. So it's sort of a feat. And then what happened just before the opening of the unit, Oh, no. The staff sort of loved it so much. It's just a weird story. They went and painted inside this cone like a sunflower. And it was sort of such a surprise for me because we had sort of carefully made it smooth white and everything. And then there was this orange sunflower that looked like flames, actually. Oh, wow. And it, yeah. And it, <laughs> it looked like flames. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I could reconcile this I, I felt like I really failed as a designer because we hadn't been able to communicate how the smooth you know the white light would be sort of soft and and gentle and I just felt that we really didn't we were not able to communicate the architectural intent as clearly mm. as we could. and then yeah. we were upset as designers yeah. that the yeah. users had gone and taken possession of that and made Set it their it own higher. Yeah, but this is a bad thing. Like, it's not okay for an architect to assume ownership of the facility. So we, I really had to check my ego on that. So I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I learned about communicating. I learned about the uh, ownership of the design and the ownership of the facility and who really sits there every day. It's not me. It's the staff. And, yeah, I had to learn to let go. So it was a very, very good learning experience. And you wow. know what? It's a good ICU, so it's everything's fine, but it was just an intense moment. Yeah, yeah, you're in the moment, you do all this work, they change it, yeah. but wait a minute, it's for them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, and you know, it's, it's really their, their ownership now is, is there in the ceiling, so. Laura, I love this example because it could apply to a lot of different processes, technologies, programs, Listeners, you're thinking maybe about something that you spent so much time, effort, sweat, hours, and then you go, you implement it, and then the user wants to do something different. So number one, they're using it. So that's great. <laughs> and if they want to change it, they're the ones using it. So put your ego aside and know that you're doing this for the user, not for yourself. And I think, Laura, this is a great, great story that you shared and a great lesson as well. I remember it always. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good teacher, Laura. Thank you. So what would you say uh, today is one of the proudest uh, leadership experiences you've had in healthcare architecture? Well, I think I, I love it every time when a project comes together. And, you know, it, it's a long haul and there's so many, so many variables, so many sort of trigger points such very, very extensive stakeholder groups that it's a miracle sometimes that anything comes together yeah. and then comes together in a way that is uh, aesthetically and design-wise a good solution. So I always love that. And it, it's a long time coming, but when it happens, it's always a good feeling. And I think that is when, when you know, the whole becomes more than the sum of its parts. That's what happens when it all falls into place. 
it's a very complex process, but then the reward is also, it's sort of on a different level when it clicks. So mm. I love that. Yeah. Love that. No, that's, that's beautiful. And yeah, there are a lot of stakeholders. There's a lot of people involved in these projects, the delays, the, the workflow interruptions. I mean, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot that goes in and whenever it's done, man, I walk into some of these hospitals and I'm just like, wow, really nice. And I walk into some others and I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't always work out well so when they yep. do work out well it's good yeah that's right i i think uh, there's different places and when you see many of them you start to see differences between them so i yeah. also i have to say just to toot my own horn that i'm really pleased that i was successful in in being selected as as the first professor of health and well-being architecture in helsinki i'm really happy about that and i think it's a fantastic opportunity and i think my my university, Aalto University, is extremely progressive to open a chair for this discipline. I think it's fantastic. So I agree. I'm, I'm very proud about that. Yeah. So congratulations to you and congratulations to the university for having that forward-thinking mind of leaders there that selected you. What would you say is, is an exciting focus that you have now that you're, you're uh, a professor there? Well, I'm just launching a studio course on design for end-of-life care. So obviously it, it deals with, uh, with dying, which is not something that comes to mind immediately when you think about health and well-being. But I really think it's a very exciting project and it's a great assignment for design students because it allows them to really delve into the question of how the design of the physical environment can affect health and well-being. We all know that in end-of-life care, there's no expectation of a cure. The outcome is the end of life. So how can we create an environment that reduces suffering? How can we design for people whose senses and faculties are failing? And how can we promote dignity in life and in death? So these are all questions that I think are very sort of, they're central to the design of, of hospices or palliative care. And in some ways, it's an easier assignment for the students because there is not such a strong technical requirement list in a hospice because they don't need to have the highest level of infection control, for example. So suddenly in, in hospices, you're allowed to bring pets. Mm. You're allowed to have plants, all these nice things that can make the environment feel more humane. So, Well, that's super exciting and definitely something that is, is on the minds of a, lot of a lot of folks today, both as, as caregivers and as leaders. So great project. And folks, if you're wondering how you could get in touch with Laura, Maybe you have a project you're working on or something like that. Uh, we'll definitely be sharing the best way to get in touch with Laura here at the end of the podcast. So don't go anywhere. Before we do that, though, we've got a course for you. We're going to design a syllabus on the ABCs of health and well-being architecture with Laura. So it's a lightning round followed by a book recommendation. You ready, Laura? Oh, okay. All right, let's do it. What's the best way to improve health outcomes? I think we should consider people as a whole person because we see so many multiple diagnoses that it gets very fragmented. So I think people should be considered as full entities of multiple sides. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Treating symptoms and not the cause. How do you stay relevant despite constant change? Oh, the only thing that's constant in healthcare is change. So we exist because of change. We want to, we want to be aware of constantly looking at how we can do things better. 
What's the one area of focus that drives everything in your group? Well, one of the slogans of Walter University is that we're here to change the world. And that's what we are. Love it. Everything that we do. We're here to change the world. Love it. Laura, what would you say your number one success habit is? I set goals. I direct my intention so that it, it serves my goals. Love that. It's powerful. What book would you recommend to the listeners? Well, my book is a very, uh, probably an unusual one. I would like to recommend a book called Savitri. And it's written by an Indian scholar and spiritual philosopher called Sri Aurobindo. And it's a book of poetry. It's a book of stunning beauty. It tells a love story from the Mahabharata between a princess, her name was Savitri, and her spouse Satyavan and how they, basically they conquer death. But that's sort of an important part of the story. But it's a stunning book of 700 and some pages. But I love it. It's the book that you can open at any spot. And there's always something right for you when you open it. Huh. That's beautiful. Savitri. And so is it a compilation of poems or is it a story, a poetic story? It's like an epic poem that, oh, that okay. honestly lasts for 700 pages, but don't be. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What a great recommendation. Something new, something unusual, I it's think. Good. It's yeah. good. You are the exception, Laura. I love that about you. All right. It's good. Now, appreciate that recommendation. And folks, you could get all of the things that we've discussed, the mini syllabus, the show notes, the full transcript of our discussion. Just go to outcomesrocket.health and in the search bar, type in Laura or type in Alto University Architecture. You'll find all of uh, the show notes there. So please go ahead and do that if you want to dive further into this. This has been a blast, Laura. I'd love if you could just leave us with the closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with or follow your work. Well, I wanted to just to follow up on my, my book recommendation. I just wanted to read you a tiny little paragraph sure. because it describes for me what I believe is a beautiful definition of well-being. And it's a, it's a little paragraph that describes Savitri's spouse, Satyavan, mm -hmm. and he was standing in the nature. And, and here it goes. So I'm just going to read it. As if a weapon of the living light Erect and lofty like a spear of God, his figure let the splendor of the morn. Noble and clear as the broad, peaceful heavens, a tablet of young wisdom was his brow. Freedom's imperious beauty curved his limbs. The joy of life was on his open face. Love it. I love that, especially the last sentence where they talk about the joy of life on his open face. I, I think that's how we should all live and, and exist. And I, I just think that for me is the health and well-being in one paragraph. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. Thank you. Um, and I appreciate you sharing that. Definitely uh, uh, fun and also uh, energizing. Laura, what, what would you say the best place for the listeners to get in touch with if they want to hear more poetry or if they want to chat architecture with you? Oh, they can always email me. It's laura.rpinen at all alto.fi for Finland. So it's Laura, L-A-U-R-A dot A-R-P-I-A-I-N-E-N at alto, A-A-L-T-O dot F-I. Outstanding. Folks, reach out to Laura. She is really somebody that you would love to connect with. And Laura, appreciate you spending time with us today. Uh, really, really glad you made the time to do it. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Thank you so much, Saul. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. 
be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 